So good to be back, <coughs> I tell you, and um, you've changed. Um, you have changed in so many ways, uh, and it's changed for the good. The Lord is in the house, and um, I, <coughs> I've been at the youth camp this weekend. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> And uh, we had such a fantastic time. And um, I, the first night that I was there, I was speaking, and the, the guys were leading worship. And I just thought, uh, oh my word, something's changed here. Uh, because, of course, the youth camp represents who you are as a church. And I thought something's dramatically changed. And the change was the presence of the Lord. And um, I ended up singing a prophetic song last night about um, the river of God. And, um, and the song was, from your ankles to your knees to your waist, water to swim in. And that's the change. It's like um, the, the water level has risen in the house. Um, you are on a significant journey. And I hope to um, unpack that a little bit today just from my interpretation of what I feel the Lord is saying in regards to it. But um, I just want to start off by, um, uh, Greg, you, you spoke out of uh, Revelation 5, and I felt there was a little uh, word in that very scripture for you, about you, because it says in verse 5 of Revelation 5, um, but one of the elders said to me, do not weep, behold the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Verse 6 says, And I looked, and, I, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain. And um, the elders said, Look, it's a lion. And he turned around and was like, No, that's not a lion, it's a lamb. And I think that's happened with you. You have changed, but some people still think you were who you were, but you've actually become somebody else. And some people still have you in the box of who you were, but it doesn't matter because the changes come with, within you. So people can think whatever they think, but you have become somebody else. And there's mana that's growing in you, and it's growing through your um, willingness to walk through the valley that God has chosen for you to walk through. So that uh, when you do come out of the valley, you've, you've, you're now standing in a place of um, the mountain. The mountain of the Lord speaks a revelation. That's where you know Jesus was transfigured. It's where Moses kept going up uh, to the mountain. And I feel that you have been on this journey, but you're, you're now coming to a place. And it's hard work climbing a mountain. I climbed Mount Taranaki. Uh, many years ago, and I'd like to do, I've said to the Lord, I'd really like to do it one more time before I die, please. Um, and th so it's work to climb a mountain, uh, but it's worth it when you get there. And not in the natural, it's worth it because of the view, and also the accomplishment, but um, the mountain of the Lord, you get revelation there, and, and I feel like you have, uh, you've changed, and in some ways, even this whole sort of, um, this picture, this metaphor of you know, that Israel was expecting the great Messiah who was going to come and smash Rome and, you know, take Israel back. Well, he came as a lamb to give his life as a sacrifice. 
it didn't make sense to the, the, to the leaders of the day because they were looking for something completely different. And in some ways that's happened in your life. People are looking for something, but um, uh, what they've discovered is someone quite different. And in some ways you're a little bit like God's secret agent for that very purpose because you undo people's expectations. And in some ways even that word that you had about the house was all you embodied that word um, because you have become somebody else. And I'm really stoked. <laughs> Appointed time, year, camp guide, all right. So um, uh, the word that I have today is, uh, I'm, I'm going to start off in Amos 9. Now, Amos is an unusual book because he's all about smashing Israel. It's like, you guys, you're bang, 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 bang. And you've done this and God's going to do this and this is going to happen and that's going to happen it's because you've been so nasty but then it's like right at the end of the book in the last chapter he comes up with but on that day I'll raise up the tabernacle of David this is verse 11 of Amos 9 on that day I'll raise up the tabernacle of David the tabernacle was the um, uh, you know the tent of David where he introduced 24-7 worship and prayer on that day, I'll raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. And I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the, as in the days of the Lord, as in the days of old. And they may uh, possess the remnant of Edom. Edom was uh, from, the, from Esau, and uh, they, they were a great enemy of Israel. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does this thing. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper. And the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. And the mountains shall drip with sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it, and I'll bring back the captives of my people, Israel. And they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. I will plant them in their land. They shall know they no longer shall be pulled up from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. It's Amos 9. That's right. That deserves a clap. Amos 9, that's uh, verse 11 to 15. So uh, this is a word for your house. It's also a word for the nation. Uh, there's a promise that, uh, that we are now beginning to come into. It's, the thing is about when God speaks a promise that uh, it can take a very long time to uh, come to pass. And we get tired, you know, hope deferred makes our hearts sick. <clears throat> Don't let your heart get sick. Because we're instant generation, we want it, you know, microwave. It doesn't work like that with God and never shall. He gave a prophetic word to Abraham. It took 400 years. You know, we're hoping it's not going to take that long. <laughs> but the, 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 the beautiful thing is that we can hold fast to this appointed time. There's a time God has, it's a time God has for you uh, as, as, a, as a man and a woman of God. There's a time that God has for you as a community. There's a time that God has for us as a nation. So on that day, I'll raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I've been spending quite a bit of time with the different worship guys uh, in, uh, from the rock. And just really trying to encourage uh, about uh, you guys, about your place in, in what God wants to do with worship in our nation. God is doing a new thing. 
I have no doubt about that at all. But what he's doing is like he's, he's in some ways, it's not even like redefining. It's like he's giving us a whole understanding, a whole new understanding in ways that we've never known before uh, uh, about what the, the sound that God wants to produce out of our land. And on that day, I'll raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down and repair its damages. In some ways, we've lost our heart of worship and you are bringing restoration here. Like you're doing a work here, and I tell you, I can prophesy it to you, it's going to go out. It will go out from this place. And, and you need to, to set yourself up and prepare that um, God's going to send you to other places so that you can reactivate and build up the tabernacle in other people's places that have fallen down. This is your future. So that's why the, 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 it's been so grim for, for a little while because it takes a, it, it's like he's had to um, eradicate things. You know, it's like he's had to, he's had to uh, um, prune the, the, the tree. And, um, and sometimes it's felt like the pruning has been so severe that it would just feel like a little stick. But he knows what he's doing. At the end of the day, if he doesn't know what he's doing, we shouldn't be following him. Because um, who wants to follow someone that doesn't really know what they're doing? He knows perfectly what he's doing. And we, if we can just continue to understand uh, and to continue to trust him, we will have full understanding in the days to come. But this is what's going to happen. So the, there is a raising up of worship that's happening in our nation right now. And it doesn't sound like anybody else. It sounds like us. There's, there's worship that's in the soil of this land. That, that, and God is beginning to blow uh, uh, upon uh, the soil in some ways to, to, uh, to reveal the seeds that have been there for a long, long, long time. And, um, and you, as a church, are going to be part of that. You hear me? You're going to be part of that. Um, I'll raise up its ruins and I'll rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, which is talking about the lost. You know, all of us will know people that have walked away from the Lord. And um, this, this, uh, this sound is going to be so captivating that it's going to, it's going, people are going to want to come back because they lost heart. And um, so that's part of the promise of uh, what God is going to do. It's like the restoration of the prodigal. Oh, God, it's been a, it's been a long time coming, you know. Um, I've been a Christian for 26 years. I've been in, in uh, full-time ministry for uh, 23 and uh, 20, whatever, 20-something. 20 yeah, I'm quite young. Uh, so I'm very, very young. I was in nappies. No. <laughs> Uh, and I have, uh, I've seen people come and go, and it's, it's sometimes it can be um, disheartening because, uh, you know, th- these are people that were walking alongside you, but my hope is that the sound that God is going to raise up out of our land will be like the Pied Piper, and it will draw them back again. So uh, then it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper. Now that's the word I believe is for you. The days are coming when the plowman will overtake the reaper. What does that mean? It means that the Lord will produce so abundantly that those harvesting grain in the summer will not be able to finish their work before it's time to plow the next crop. Do you get that? There'll still be so much work going on that the people will be getting ready for the, the next harvest while, while the old harvest is still going on. Does, does that make sense to you? Now, um, just, just quickly, um, it's a little bit obscure, but just quickly uh, go over to Leviticus 26. 
um, because it, this is what I'm talking about. Um, it says here, these are for those that are, that, um, uh, the promises to those that keep the law. Now, I know that you've been on a journey really pursuing the Lord to want to do, um, to, to do right by him and set yourself up and you've been straightening some things and, and, uh, and you know, like coming into times of repentance. So this is a promise for those who keep the law. So this is uh, Leviticus 26, verse 10. You shall eat the old harvest and clear out the old to make way for the new. Do you hear that? I'll give it to you in the message version. You'll still be eating from last year's harvest when you have to clean out the barns to make room for the new crops. Get ready for um, a, a, a harvest time that's coming for you. And yeah, it's harvest, it's people, but it's the presence of the Lord and it's the, it's the structure that you're setting up. And, and I would recommend that you now, you begin to really put structures in for the increase. Because it doesn't matter if you see it or don't see it. You, if you call yourself a, a prophetic people, well, the, the prophecy always speaks ahead of that which is coming. You know, for, um, for years I was, I was preaching about the, the time of wilderness was over and I could see the green, I could see the green, I could see the green, I could see the green. And it's like, you know, two years later, we're still waiting for the green. But, but that's the nature of the prophetic is that it sees that which is coming because the prophecy is to cause encouragement. It's to say, hold on. The Lord is good. The Lord is faithful. It shall, it shall be accomplished what he has promised. And, and so it causes you to hold on. It's not like a, um, a, a, oh, you know, gosh, I just hope that's going to happen. No, it actually shall. You just have to have faith to believe it and hold on. It's supposed to create faith inside of you. So, um, so that the promises of those that keep the law, you'll still be eating the old harvest and clearing out the old to make way for the new. That's what's going on. And that's why it's been a long preparation. You know that God prepares long for the suddenly? Did you know that? Do you, I'll say that again. God prepares long for the suddenly. You think, man, this, is, this has been, you know, like a, a, a long time that, that we've been, you know, having to, to, to move and grow and, and um, you know, beginning to, to, to build the house of the Lord. It's God prepares long for the moment. For the moment, and and um, a lot of people fail to realise the long preparation, so that when the suddenly comes, they're not able and all equipped or prepared for that moment of time when God does come, and they go, "Well, God, that's not fair." Well, He said, oh, "I gave you this chance here. I gave you this chance to get yourself right. I gave you this chance to to come before me and, and to repent. I gave you this chance to sort out that stuff that you know has been going on for a long time. I gave you this chance." Then I gave you another chance, and I gave you another chance, and I gave it, and suddenly he comes, and it's like you, you're not able to uh, to walk in the things that, that he's got going for you. He's pre- he's prepared you as a house long, so that when the suddenly comes, you're ready for it. That here it is. I'm not surprised because I'm ready and I'm prepared. So uh, there's a speeding up that's happening in history, as we know. Like we look, and all you have to do is turn on the news, and it's like you know, opening this. Matthew, um, Matthew 24, it's like, whoa. But, yeah, there's a speeding up of, um, of negativity and, and destruction, I suppose, but, but there's a speeding up of, of, um, of the things that God is doing. This, next, this time next year, many believers will report with joy. It's astounding how much has happened and how much has changed in such a short space of time. 
That's what's happening right now. See, preparing long for the suddenly. And it has felt like, you know, a long, a long season between drinks. That's what it's felt like for, for the church in some ways. It's like, oh God, when are you going to come? When are you going to come? When are you going to come? And uh, God's outworking of his, of, of his, his grand plan is, is going to dramatically accelerate. And you are to be part of that. You've been poised. You've been poised. That's such a great word. It's not a thing you buy at the supermarket either. <laughs> poised. Ready. Sorry. Poised. That moment. Prepared long for the suddenly. So, um, so what's this picture of the, the, the plowman overtaking the reaper? God is looking for plowmen and women. He's looking for those that will take up the plow, take up their cross, take up and get the work done. It's work, but there's joy in it. It's not, um, but the promise is, you know, like some people here working, it's like, Ugh. but the promises of work is that um, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, the reason he said that was um, because he was coming against the Pharisees, the spirit of religion that was trying to load people down with so many burdens of, of the law. And, and, um, but Jesus, and, and, and so he was having a go at them saying, well, your burdens are so crippling for the people that they can never, um, they can never find a place, you know, never uh, find the joy of the Lord. He said, but my burden is light. And, and that has to be uh, not just our experience, but that has to be the thing that we take out and show the world. That the burden is actually light. And if it's, if it's too hard, it actually might not be the Lord. Because if you get that picture of a yoke, it's like, the, you know, the, the, for the plough, the yoke was uh, two oxen or two horses were put in the, in the yoke, and so they pulled it together. So it's like you're yoked with Jesus. And he's the one that actually, you know, takes most of the weight anyway. <laughs> so there you are, yoked with Jesus. My burden is... Uh, my yoke is, is light and my burden is actually easy for you to carry. It shouldn't be so hard that you, that you, you, um, that you get overwhelmed by it. You know, burnout is, um, is a nasty, nasty thing. And, and you know, I've, I've gone through it myself and, and because we end up thinking that what we're doing is for the Lord, but really at the end of the day, it's actually just for ourselves. You know, the, the statistics for church ministry is horrific. Um, I think the average uh, time that youth workers serve in church is two years. Because they just get like... They, but it's not even like they, they get whipped to the ground, but they do it themselves. And that's why, you know, I'm trying to encourage you <laughs> that you have to learn to take the, the seasons of the Lord. You know, there are rhythms. There are rhythms of God. And, and um, please hear this, it's like the rhythms of God were never meant to be a burden. They're meant to be easy and light, the rhythms of God. There's time to work, and there's time to cease from working. There's a time to press into Him, and there's a time to, to have a time of rest. And so you've got to learn what the rhythms of the season that God has you in. Otherwise, your rhythms can become habits, and habits can become a dangerous thing. Because we end up thinking, well, if I just do this and I'll just have my quiet time and you know, I just put this thing in and you know, I just read my, oh yes, I've done that for the day and it's done. And there's no life in habits. 
but there are, um, there's life in, um, in, in rhythm because a rhythm can end up um, uh, picking up uh, itself and it can go in, in whatever flow that you're in where, you know, habits are just like bang, 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 bang. But with, with a rhythm, there's more fluidity. And God wants us to be men and women of his that can move in that, the fluidity of the spirit. He's not mean. He's not a hard taskmaster. He's not saying, you got to read that scripture today. It's not like that. What he is saying is that if you find me, if you seek for me, you'll find me. Because I'm not very hard to be, um, uh, to be found. Yeah, I'm not lost. That's right. I'm easy to be found. So um, take my yoke upon you. I want, uh, if you could go to 1 Kings 19. <clears throat> this is the story of Elisha. And this is when he was, um, he was called by Elijah. So I, Elijah, he pretty much had got burnt out. Um, he, he'd lost his way. He got disorientated. And, um, and he found himself in that cave and the Lord spoke to him in the still small voice. And then um, he said, you know, I want you to do these, these things. And one of the things was, I want you to go and anoint Elisha in your place. So, <clears throat> so Elijah goes uh, uh, along and he finds Elisha. And it says in uh, 1 Kings 19, verse 19, And so he departed from there and found Elisha. The, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the twelfth. Then uh, Elijah passed by him, threw his mantle on him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back, for what have I to do with you? So Elisha turned back, verse 21, from him and took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. So this is like, um, I just want to say as well, uh, um, Clay, Elisha was from the tribe of Issachar. That word that I gave you yesterday, you know, that the, um, the sons of Issachar had understanding of the times and seasons. See, it's a, a, that prophetic um, uh, lineage uh, it, it even went through um, Elisha the prophet. So I just, I feel like in some ways that this word that I'm speaking to the church, uh, you're wrapped up in that because of that, um, because of that, the word I gave yesterday about the, um, the, the tribe of Issachar. So they were insightful, because it says, um, sorry if you want to know, write down, that's 1 Chronicles 12.32, says that um, the sons of Issachar uh, had underst- understanding of the times and seasons to know what Israel ought to do. Boy, do we need that at the moment. <laughs> do we need people who are insightful to know what, what uh, we, we as a church should do, that we, uh, um, th- those that will be insightful to know what the nation ought to be doing, those that will be insightful to know how to pray at a time such as this. Um, so they were insightful. They knew what Israel ought to do. Uh, and <clears throat> so Elisha, there he is. He's plowing with his oxen. Now he must have been from a wealthy family because they had 12 yoke, uh, 12 yoke of oxen. So that's 24 oxen. So that, that's a huge amount. And that dude must have been huge. I mean, to be plowing with that many oxen you know, you, you're going to have to have a few um, of the old going down. And uh, so there he was. He must have been from a wealthy family. 
And it was the time of apostasy in the nation. The, the nation had turned away from the Lord. They had been in a, in a place of drought, so there, there wouldn't have been a lot of, uh, of um, uh, food or resource around. They'd also turned away from the Lord. And yet, in this time of apostasy, um, they, were, they were a family that was still faithful to Yahweh. So even if you begin to get this picture, they're the ones that they've stayed focused, um, they've they've kept on themselves to do what they they, they felt the Lord has said for them to do up to that point was to keep farming, keep doing your business, keep doing your business. It's a good word. You know, um, I had a word for someone yesterday. I just said, if you've you've lost your way, if you've become disorientated, go back to the last word that the Lord gave you. That's the thing that you have to do because people can get so like caught up and you can end up in a dangerous place because you, end up, you can end up going down paths that, that are a dead end and then you get discouraged. So what you have to do is what was the last thing that God said to you? Go back to that word. If you haven't done it, do it. If you have done it, wait. We're not very good at waiting. <laughs> I'm speaking to myself here. You're not very good at waiting. <laughs> If that was the last word that he gave you, wait at that word. Wait at that word. He is faithful. You won't be left behind. And he's got plans for us. Like the, the, Every single person born on the earth was given a high call in God. Now, I'm not talking about Christians. Every single person. Because we're, we're made in the image of God. And it's up to us, not only for us to find out what that high call of God is, but it's up to us to uh, help those out there come to the fulfillment of their high call in God, whatever that is. So, <clears throat> so uh, there was um, Elisha with his oxen. And um, by the looks of things, Elijah wasn't very happy chappy because he just like, you know, he comes in, throws the mantle over him, which was a picture of the, of the calling. So that, that was like, you are now the prophet of Israel. And it said he kept walking. And, um, and Elisha comes running after him and says, can I just at least go and... Cause he, so he understood what was happening. He understood that he was about to pick up the mantle of, uh, of Elijah. So he ran after him and he said, well, can I just at least kiss my mum and dad goodbye? And, and Elisha said, well, what's that got to do with me? I've, you know, I've given you the mantle. You're now the prophet. Grow up. So what he says is that he, he comes back. It actually doesn't say that he kisses his mother and father, but what it does say is that um, he took the yoke and he made a fire with the yoke. He chopped up the yoke or the, uh, the plough. He chopped it up, made a fire, and then he killed the oxen. Now, it says that he was with the last 12, so I, I wonder whether he just chopped up the last two. Or he could have chopped up the whole 24. That just would have taken quite a long time. <laughs> anyway, you can figure that out for yourself. But the point of the story is that he chopped up his livelihood. He actually made a stand right then and he just said, um, this old life, I'm, I'm, I'm burning my bridges so that there's no way that I'm ever going to be able to go back. And I feel like that for some of you, that's a word of the Lord. Because it's like we get afraid and so we sort of sort out a plan B or, you know, I'll just, you know, if, if maybe money is your issue and it's like, well, I'll just, you know, stick a few thousand, a few hundred thousand <laughs> over there, just, you know, just in case. And, but, but it's like God is looking for a people. It's like there's no plan B. If you don't turn up, I'm stuffed pretty much. God is looking for those sort of people. I'm not saying that we're to live foolishly. 
But we are to live in faith. And I think a lot of us have forgotten how to live in faith because the world is constantly at us. That's the thing that I just, I get, I get really annoyed with the media. It's like they're anxiety-based. It's an anxiety-based um, system when a lot of what they say is actually not the truth. It's a half-truth. But they're wanting to try and work you up. They want to incite because it means that they sell more ad- adverts, you know. And uh, so we're to, we're, we're, to, um, we're, we're to pull ourselves back as... If we're going to be like Isaka, who understood the times and the seasons, we're not to look at those situations like, but what's really going on? Don't look at what you see here. Look at what you know. What is God saying? So, um, so this is what, what um, Elisha did. It's just like he said, okay, um, this, is, this is what um, my calling is now. This is what the Lord has spoken to me. I'm actually going to cut, cut it off, cut off that which has been. And... Um, <clears throat> And so he burnt his bridges, and then he ran after Elijah. But, you know, the interesting thing is, is that he, uh, he said to him, can I at least go and say goodbye to my family? You know, it's a big deal. Family, in, you know, in, in that culture was everything. And um, it was even, you know, bigger than ministry. Um, and yet, you know, he just said, well, can I at least go and say goodbye to my parents? And he said, well, what's that to do with me? So he goes back. But, um, you know, I'm sure there would have been quite a bit of time to, you know, he had to, like, I mean to say, chop up the plough and chop up the huge big oxen. That would have taken a little bit of time. And then cook it and then give it away. You see, that's another thing too. In the calling, there will always be generosity. When God calls you to something, if, it, if it's fear-based, it's probably not the Lord. If you feel, oh, I feel that the Lord is calling me to step into this thing. If, if, if it's if the foundation, I mean, there's always going to be like fear and it's like, oh, this is, you know, I'm not sure. And it's like, and you know, what, what, what it does, it pushes you into really hearing from the Lord. It's like, all right, is that Lord? But, but if that fear thing that, that stays on you, it's like, and, and you start to withhold, it's probably not the Lord. Because, you know, what he did in that place of abandonment, when he decided to cut his ties with his inheritance in some ways, um, he, he, he said that he um, cut up the meat and gave it out to the people. Um, uh, so, uh, in verse 21, so Elisha um, turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. So it was like this releasing uh, of generosity because he knew what he was about to, to, to step into. Always be a generous people. That's one of the marks of the presence of the Lord. And I'm not, not talking about finances, um, but, you know, if it is money, because often that's the thing that, you know, can grip our hearts the most. But uh, in whatever aspect, it's like be generous. Be generous with your time. Be generous in, in saying nice words. Be generous in, you know, like paying for the person's coffee in front of you. And I mean, I try to do that, but I get all, like, embarrassed. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to, you know, go and do this. And, and then I don't sort of know what to do, so I sort of, like, claim up and then don't do anything. And almost forget to pay for my own coffee. <laughs> but I really do want to do it, and I see people do stuff like that all the time, you know, or, or pay for someone's groceries. And, and sometimes, you know, like, when I'm behind someone, it's like, oh, they might not have enough money, and, you know, I can step in and go, I'll pay. <laughs> you know, I just, but, but it's thinking in those, in those terms. It's like um, having a generous heart, and, and because... If, if we're followers of Jesus, that's, that has to be the mark, one of the marks of who we are. Because the ultimate g- generous gift was a son that was sent for our sins. <laughs> Can't get much more generous than that. So uh, he said, um, let me go and kiss my mother and father goodbye. 
And then it said he went out and followed him. But then you just flip back to another story of a mother and father. And this is in um, Luke 9, uh, in 57, from 57 to 62, if you want to go there. Luke 9. <clears throat> I'll just have a drink of water, so I'll give you a little minute. And it says, Now it happened, as they journeyed on the road, that someone said to him, this is Jesus, excuse me, uh, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and preach the kingdom of God. Now, I just want to say there, um, what, what was actually going on there was that guy wasn't saying, you know, my father's dead right now. I just need to go and bury him and then I'll come. What he was actually saying is that I need to go home and wait for my father to die. And when he's dead, I'll come and follow you. So it was like he was saying, I've just got to sort out all the stuff and I'll wait until he's dead and then I'll come and follow you. But Jesus said, well, you know, what actually did he say? <laughs> he said, let the be- dead bury the dead and you go and preach the kingdom of God, which is what, what's the kingdom of life. But he knew in some ways that that guy was dead already because he, he, in his head he was going, well, I just, you know, I, I want to go back and just, you know, just wait. And, you know, I do, I, I, you know, I love you and I'd love to serve you. And, uh, but I'm just going to just hold back just for a little bit. It, just, it can't work like that. You know, I just, um, and, and take this however you want. It's probably because it's my personality. But it's got to be all or nothing. You know, I just, um, who wants to live a mediocre life? I just don't get it. And, you know, I've, I've sort of got myself into trouble quite a bit. And, because I've said to young people, it's like, if you want to go and screw around, go and do it. You know, it's like, why be in this place of, 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 um, uh, of sin and temptation? It's like you're, you're straddling the fence. It's like, and your heart's not really in it. You know, you want to go, go. The, you know, the, the prodigal son? He went off. And it was interesting, Anita was saying, that there's a, it's a book by Henri Nguyen called um, The Return of the Prodigal Son, which is a great book, and I would recommend it. But one of the things um, about uh, that parable, you know, the parable of the prodigal son, in Luke somewhere, he can remind me where it is, Anita. Um, thank you for looking it up. Uh, so th- uh, back in that culture, when that guy came to the father and said, give me my inheritance now, See, in that culture, that was just unheard of. Because what you're basically saying is that, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. So give me my money. And the graciousness of the Father. Uh, Luke 15. Well, there's three um, parables that Jesus uses, right? The first parable is about the woman with the lost coin. Second parable is about the uh, lost sheep. And then the parable about the prodigal son. Well, the first two, you think about the woman went searching, searched all through the house, find the coin, yay, have a big party, spend all that coin. (laughs) Second one was a lost sheep, Uh, left the 99, went after to find the lost sheep. But the third one, the father didn't go after the son. 
He said he waited until the son came to his senses. That's what it says. He came to his senses. And he's the one that returned back to the father. And, you know, I, just, I think that we have to be a people that we live our life that we, in our passion for Jesus and, and we trust that, um, that um, people are going to follow us, not by what we say, but by how we live our life. That through our own passion that they will see that what we have is real and alive and true and it's not hype and it's, it, it's uh, authentic. We have to display our, our faith that's authentic. And uh, he came to his senses and he came back. And, and I just, and you know, like some of these guys, I just, I think, you, go. But when you do come to your senses, I'll be waiting here. That's the difference. Do you get me? Now, I'm not saying giving license, you know, like you guys, you walk out and go, okay, I'm going to go and have a ball. I'm not saying that at all. But you, I hope you do hear my heart. What, uh, is that, um, that, there's no point living in mediocrity. It's just, it's just, it's like purgatory. Surely it's going to be like hell. You know, it's like you come to church on a Sunday, you really don't want to be there, and you just be thinking, all you're thinking about is your mates and you're playing, you know, on, on your iPhone and checking out Facebook, seeing what your mates are doing. What's the point in that? But what you've got to know is that, that if you get to a point that you're just like, you know, screw this and you're going to leave and that you, when you get to a point and you come to your senses, because hopefully you will before you die, that you come to your senses and you realise that, that, that this is actually is life. This is life. And, and it, at times it might be good, it might be easy, it might be hard, but it's life. And there's joy in this life. And there's salvation and there's hope and there's laughter, and there's presence, and there's strength, and there's overcoming power, and there's deliverance, and there's salvation, and there's healing in this life, all encompassed here in the salvation of Jesus. And the thing is that when, they, when he comes to his senses, it says he went back, and it says while he's still a long way off. So he still would have been, you know, like there might be ones that are still like in that place of like, you know, not in a good space, but it says while he was still a long way off father saw him, what did he do? He ran to him and fell on his neck. And it was the least, um, it was what the son expected the least to happen. He fell on his neck and kissed him. He said, what I thought was death has come back to life. <gasps> come, I'm killing, oh, there's another more carbs, more, more killing. Kill the fatty calf. <laughs> And of course, the response that from the older brother is a real picture of how we respond when they begin to come in again. That we have to be people open-armed, not judgmental. You know, um, I'll finish here. There's just one more. Um, it's in Hosea. You all right? You going all right? And uh, it says here in Hosea 2, verse 14, 14 and 15. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. And I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt.
Achor was the valley where um, uh, when the children of Israel came first into the promised land, they were in the valley of um, Achan. No, it was the story of Achan. So this valley was called Achor because of the trouble that Achan had committed by, um, after the fall of Jericho, he took one of the idols and hid it. I don't know if you're familiar with the story. And then um, God was not very happy with the whole people because of that one man's sin. And so that place where he got found out and he ended up getting killed was called the Valley of Trouble, which is called the Valley of Achor. But it says here, I will give her her vineyards from there and the Valley of Achor as a door of hope. And, and I remember when I come across this because it's like sometimes we find ourselves in a valley. Sometimes we find ourselves in trouble and we can't get out. And in our head we think the Lord will come to us and go, you got yourself into this mess, you get yourself out. Or, okay, I'm with you, you climbed into the valley, you're now going to have to climb out of the valley. But he doesn't say that. It says here, I'll give you a door of hope. So it's like God does this miraculous thing, creates a door of hope. It says it's not about your works and that you've got to do this thing and you've got to pump yourself up and you know, you've got to get back into scripture and you've got to do this and you've got to do that. He goes, here's a door of hope. Get out of jail free card. There you go. That's the sort of God that you serve. That's the sort of God. He doesn't say, well, you got yourself into this trouble, you get yourself out. He goes, here you go. And we have to be like that when they begin to come. Here's a door of hope for you. I know you got yourself into trouble. Doofus. <laughs> but here's a door of hope for you. Walk free. And you've got to know that for your own life. If you're struggling with things at the moment, he's not a hard taskmaster. He's not, he doesn't want to extract you know, penance from you. You've got to wear a hair shirt or whip yourself in private or whatever. Weird. He doesn't say that. It's like he just... Um, freely freely he's given to you freely receive it freely he's given you a door of hope today walk through it you don't have to pay there's no entrance fee it's freely given and it says that she shall sing there as in the days of her youth (laughs) there's a promise right there for, for some people here as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt, like that when we first got saved, the joy, the joy of our salvation. You see, what it says is that I will allure her. He, in some ways, it's almost like he draws us into the wilderness to that place where we will begin to lean upon him. When we've got, you know, all our gadgets around us, you know, we don't necessarily need the Lord as much because we've got, you know, the little thing here and I can sort myself out there and... So he brings us, he, but it says he allures us into the wilderness so that he may speak to us. Because our, our ears get so crowded with other things sometimes, and he speaks to us, and it's words of life. I will, allure, I'll, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness, and I will speak comfort to her. Or I will speak to her heart. God wants to speak to your heart. This will be known as a place of the heart. I will speak to her heart. God speaks to us like part of the prophetic um, environment that's building up here and building up is because it allows 
the, the word of the Lord to penetrate the heart, not to bypass the intellect. And, you know, and of course, intellect is important, I think. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> but we can get so caught up in in um, in our, into, in our, uh, in, into our thinking and our trying to sort it out, sort this out or sort out what, what God is doing here, sometimes we just need the word of the Lord to penetrate our hearts. And this is going to be a place that's going to do that. The spirit of the Lord will come and um, the word of the Lord will come, the, pro- the prophetic word of the Lord will come and people's hearts will be moved and touched and changed by a word, by an action. Because... Uh, Prophetic means the Lord is, is in it. It's like the Lord is speaking or the Lord is moving. And I, I will speak to her heart and I will give her her vineyards. What does that speak of? Fruitfulness, life, joy. So you're in a new season. You're in a place of reorientation. This is your new orientation. There's a book by a theologian, great man, Walter Brueggemann. He wrote a book on um, Psalms called the Book of Psalms, and he characterized uh, the Book of Psalms into three categories. That he called them the Psalms of Orientation, the Psalms of Disorientation, and the Psalms of New Orientation. So if you, and you look at Scripture, if you look at Psalms, it's exactly like that. It's like, because life is not all happy-clappy. You know, there are seasons and valleys that we go through, but God gave us um, something to help us navigate those ways through. So orientation is, you know, oh yeah, I'm at a good place and things are going real awesome and, you know, I'm just loving God and man, I'm, still, I'm in my ministry. And, so, and then we move into a place of disorientation. Why does that happen? Because we've, we, you get stuck in that place when God says, mm, no, I've got, some, I've got much more for you to do. Now, there's much more for you to step into. But we, we, but we become safe in that place. So he, he allures us into the wilderness and brings us into that place of disorientation. And one of the things that, that um, so many people are finding in Christchurch is that um, the landmarks are gone, so people don't know where they are anymore. And, you know, people that have lived there all their life, they are disorientated driving down the street that they know because that landmark's not there or that thing's gone. Or, and that's what happens to us. It's like we, we lose our landmarks because the things that you know, kept us safe are no longer there. But God is in it because he has allured you into the place so that he could speak to you because your ears weren't open to hear him um, in the way that he wanted to speak to you. So you come into this place of disorientation and that's where you've been as a church. It's like, what's going on? It's like, you know, I'm not, not sure. I've let go of the old and, you know, the new's still coming and it's like, what's going on here? It's like, it's disorientation and it's the Lord and it's okay. I will allure her and I will give her her vineyards from there. I will cause you to be fruitful, not just fruitful again, but even more fruitfulness will come to you. I'll give you your vineyards from there. And then once the place of disorientation, because now you know that I'm not holding on to the old anymore, I'm ready. So God says, okay, here you go. This is now your new orientation. This is who you are. You get that? And it's marvelous the way that God works that out because he loves us. And I know for myself, like, I, I can be quite, you know, set, set in my ways, and this is how I've done it. And you know, I've been, I, I've been a, a itinerant minister, a, itinerant minister for 15 years, and, you know, like, I set up my sort of thing, my routine, and, and God upended that in me, which I didn't like very much. And I, I've got to say that um, I've just come through five years of disorientation. It was awful. But I knew it was the Lord, and I knew I had to trust Him, and I knew I had no plan B. 
I didn't set it up for myself at the start. <laughs> so I just thought, if, if God, if you don't do something, I'm just uh, uh, there was nothing else I could do. So I just had to wait and hold and trust and hope and journal. <laughs> you know why he brought me through? He brought me through. He brought me through! <laughs> so I now find I'm in a place of, of new orientation. But I, but, but I also feel that in some ways that's embodying uh, as a picture for a lot of people. And I, and I know that, that you are in that similar situation. You're now coming into a new orientation. Who are you? Who are you as a community? Um, who are, what is your voice out into the community? How is it? Uh, how do you um, speak, be, behave, do? And part of that uh, is prayer and, and the prophetic and, uh, and worship, which is really exciting because all those things is, is the nucleus or the core. And without the strength of those things, nothing else can get done to a great, not, not to. Um, uh, uh, not to a place where it has uh, uh, lasting uh, success, you know, because the community they're, they're, and there's things that we need to do, you know, justice and looking after the poor and serving. But if you haven't got the nucleus of prayer, worship, uh, uh, you know, in the, in, in the prophetic, uh, if you haven't got that uh, uh, working together, it's like everything else, it just it doesn't carry the presence of the, of the Lord, you know. So this is what you're uh, growing in at the moment, and, um, and it causes me great joy. And like what, what I heard what I heard happening, it's like, it's like you're my DNA, because that's who I am too. That, uh, I, I'm so captured by the Lord, I, and particularly in the whole area of prayer and worship. The Lord's been talking to me about uh, what, 24/7 worship, uh, what 24-7 prayer could look like coming out of Christchurch, the ends of the earth. So I've been talking to a few people about that. 24-7 prayer. That's something that's really um, beginning to stir, I think, in the nation as well, um, the whole area of prayer. And yes, it is work, but there's a great joy. There's joy in prayer. <laughs> and um, I know that prayer is something that, um, that God really wants to stir up here in a whole new way because the, the, the prayer, the intercession, is prophetic and it's, there's worship involved. So it's not so dry, but it's like it's just it's a delight. So let's stand. I hope that's been okay and I hope you've understood what I've been trying to say to you today.